athlete-driven content has just exploded. It gives the athletes a lot of power. Strongman, you've noticed this, or I've noticed this at least. Brian Shaw is now coming up on his third Shaw Classic, his namesake competition. And that I don't think ever would have happened if it wasn't for the power and exposure that he's gained through social media. Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Today I'm talking to Andrew Gutman, Barbend's editor in chief. Andrew has joined the Barbend podcast before, but this time we're talking about something a bit different the future of strength content. What will this industry look like in 5, 10, or even 20 years? And what was it like for both of us to witness the downfall of print in fitness journalism? We look into the past to try and predict the future. And that means predictions about everything from Barbed itself to fitness influencers. Let's see what comes true. But before we get to that, a quick shout out to today's episode sponsor, Organifi. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition made with high-quality ingredients. Each blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses, with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers, containing less than 3 grams of sugar per serving. Take Organifi Red Juice as just one example. It's formulated to recharge mind and body with a delicious superfood berry blend of premium organic superfoods that contains potent adaptogens, antioxidants, and a clinical dose of cordyceps. Designed to promote energy with zero caffeine and only two grams of sugar per serving. Visit Organifi.com forward slash barbend and use code barbend for 20% off your order. Now let's get back to the show. Andrew, thanks so much for joining. I always say, well, I always say thanks for joining to our podcast guests, but I talk to you literally every day. So I'm going to be honest, that thanks was a little inauthentic. I hope that doesn't sing too much. Uh, it hurts, but we'll move through it. Uh, happy to be back. Like I said, I was like, I feel like I got to start billing you for this time, but technically I do. So um, <laughs> you're yeah, so happy to be here. I yeah, I, I have to, I have to like carve out this like 35 minutes or this 40 minutes, like, and make a special note on pay stubs anytime someone on the team joins this and just like treat it differently. I don't know. I don't think I can do that, but I appreciate you coming on. Last time we had an awesome conversation. I'm biased. I thought it was an awesome conversation. I learned a ton from you about how to like break in to fitness media, right? If you're interested in becoming like a writer or maybe making a career change, maybe your early career, so trying to figure out the fitness media landscape that's rapidly changing. And I listened back to that episode. And one thing that was referenced was, that it is rapidly changing. Fitness media now is not what it was 10 years ago and certainly not what it was 20 years ago. And we got some requests in to talk about the future of fitness media. And that's what we're going to do today. So to give a little bit of background for those who didn't listen to the last episode, can you give the Cliff Notes like the short or the, the abridged timeline of what your career has been just so folks know the perspective we're speaking from? Definitely. I feel like I'm getting uh, pretty practiced at, at saying this. Yeah. So I went to Springfield College in Massachusetts. Just want to shout them out. Love Springfield College. Go Pride. I was an exercise science major, transitioned to journalism. And then in 2016, landed a gig at Muscle and Fitness, where I was for four years, left in 2020. 
the brand was sold and with it, most of the print staff left, uh, freelanced at a bunch of brands, insider, insider reviews, men's journal, men's health, and then ended up at Barbend, where I've been for a year and a half now. Almost actually over almost two years. Cause you joined Barbend in September, September, 2020. So you're coming up on your, on your two year. And let me tell you, there is no surprise for your two year. We always have a surprise for folks who have been here for like one year. I got nothing for two years. You're getting no like an Ellen, like an Ellen DeGeneres, like the clown comes out of the box. <laughs> just scared. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, actually, I need to know your deepest, darkest fears, because that's what we're going to leverage for your two year, your two year anniversary. Yeah, yeah. The first year, just so folks know, like the first, uh, my experience at Barbend has been great. So I have been waiting for the downturn and, and good to know it's coming at two years. Yeah, everything boomerangs back. Like every, you know, everything has to be a double-edged sword. So you you came to fitness. I'm old. So I came to fitness journalism a little bit before you, but you came at a really interesting time because 2016, like we were squarely in the, hey, digital first age. When I started in the space, everyone was still like, wait a minute. Are magazines really going away? Like, is digital really what's going to happen? How do we balance print and digital? By 2016, everyone's like, it's all, it's all digital. Social media was driving a ton of traffic. It was driving a ton of impressions and really in the driver's seat. But I want to focus on between 2016 and now, you're six years into your career, maybe just a tick over. Congratulations, by the way, not to date you too much. How have things changed? Like, what is the landscape like now in fitness content versus what it was in 2016 as you see it? Well, so one thing I do want to point out is it was all digital, but Muscle and Fitness was still a magazine. And I worked exclusively, pretty much exclusively on the print edition for the first couple of years. So, oh, so I was I, wrong. I gave a terrible intro to this question. No, no, no. But it's, it's good to know because my, my learning curve was pretty slow. Like, I was in the print arena for, two years and it wasn't wasn't until like 2018 or 2019 where my boss was like hey we, we're gonna start like scaling back on the magazine and we're gonna need you to write more online so i got plugged in pretty late for being a relatively young guy but and then now of course bar bend is all digital we don't have a print edition so how have things changed well what so i was thinking about this and one trend that i've noticed david is athlete driven content has just exploded. And that, that's been the case. I don't remember ever seeing too many athletes with their own YouTube channels, at least in the strength sports space when I started at Muscle and Fitness. And now it's par for the course. And it's really interesting because nobody, most, most people who are a fan of strongman can't hoist the 450 pound Atlas stone like Brian Shaw, but they can train like him and eat like him and live like him. And I think that although the competitions themselves are really interesting to watch, it's the lifestyle that most people are attracted to. And so this has really allowed athletes to kind of change the way that fans digest sport content. And it's actually given these sports a life outside of their typical seasons. And it's also been very good for business because it gives us as uh, strength sports journalists a lot to cover. So I think that answered your question, but I would say like athlete driven content has been the biggest trend I've noticed. I really like that. And I, I completely agree. And look, Barbend, we started Barbend in 2016, right? Mm -hmm. So we started Barbend when you were starting your career with muscle and fitness in this space. And now we're here you know, over six years later. 
And you're, you're totally right. And the thing I've noticed is, yeah, I mean, there is content to cover, right? And, and having more off-season content is it's good for business for places like us. Gives these athletes, you know, a way to shout out their sponsors and, uh, and, and good for their business in the off season, right? Cause they maintain that visibility and they get to keep growing their profiles. But one thing I've really noticed is it actually gives more context to the in season coverage that we're able to actually create, right? So it lets us know more about the athlete. I think I feel like we're able to kind of have a look into, like you said, their lifestyle, their thought process, their approach more, more frequently. And it allows, I think, for our team and, uh, you know, other outlets in the space as well to create richer content in season because they're able to contextualize things. They're able to say things like, well, okay, take strongman as an example. You know, this athlete had a real weakness in the log press. And in the off season, they found a coach to focus on overhead movements and like really drilled that in. And that makes its way into our in season and event coverage. And it creates, I think, a richer content experience for folks. And I'm curious if you'd had similar thoughts or reactions to that. Yeah, I agree 100%. In fact, uh, Barbend's news editor, Phil Blackman, and I were talking about this recently, where in bodybuilding, so like for anybody who doesn't know, bodybuilding competition is where folks stand on stage and they complete a series of poses and then they're judged on their physique. Uh, It is, to be quite frank, not the most exciting thing to watch. And I think what makes or attracts people to bodybuilding is it's the lifestyle, like what we were just talking about. It's the work. Is what are these athletes doing to get as big as possible? Or, or you know, if you're not, one thing I will, I will just give a quick addendum. We've seen the fastest growth in bodybuilding interest at Barbend in the non-open categories. So in the not as big as possible categories, like physique, classic physique, figure wellness, that sort of stuff. Just right. to clarify for folks. No, that that is a good note. I should I should say as big as you can get relative to what your division will allow. So, excuse me. So, you know, Chris Bumstead is somebody, he's the reigning three-time classic physique Olympia. We cover him quite frequently. He puts out a lot of great content. And Phil was noting, well, you know, he's talking about bringing up his his arms a lot or his back a lot. And we're going to know come Olympia time if that's happened. And we're going to have the, you know, the proof to say this is, you know, these are the arm workouts and this is actually when he said it in June or April or whatever. But yeah, it does create a really nice timeline. And I think in bodybuilding specifically, that's really interesting because these folks are already so maxed out. You know, the the one criticism I used to hear is like, well, you know, do they actually look different? Are they actually getting bigger? And it all of this content really allows us to analyze that. I've noticed it, and this is a, maybe a a more esoteric example. You know, I still do a lot of weightlifting color commentary with USA Weightlifting. We're the official media partner of USA Weightlifting. You know, I'm still, I missed nationals this year due to COVID exposure, which was a bit of a bummer. But when I do color commentary with USA Weightlifting, even if it's not the biggest name athletes, if it's, you know, athletes just posting about their training, right? And sometimes they they are big name athletes. Sometimes they're just athletes who they want to post on social, right? For their coaches or for their family and friends. A look into what they're training in the offseason or pre-competition is really interesting because, you know, someone might struggle with the jerk, right? Or someone might struggle with leg strength standing up from the clean. And it's always interesting to look back and when I'm doing giving color commentary to say, oh, you know, this lifter, Kelly Smith, that's just a name I'm, I'm 
making up, right? You know, has really struggled with leg strength coming out of the clean. And we see a, a massive improvement here, right? She might be really strong overhead. The jerk's going to be no issue. It's really all about, is she going to be able to stand up from the clean? And I might have that context only because of the social media content this lifter has posted saying, hey, really drilling front squats, really drilling pause front squats, really drilling coming out of that that bottom position. And so it doesn't even need to be the athletes with millions and millions of fans and followers. Sometimes it's athletes who are up and comers or they're just competing and we're, we're covering the event via color commentary or live. And it's just really nice context to look back and be like, huh, this is something they were working on. Like kudos to them because we're seeing that play out on the platform. Yeah, I can imagine that's nice being, you know, a commentator like, you know, obviously everybody knows about Lasha Talakahadze and can follow his career. But if you're, you know, Joe Smith and this is your second ever competition, it does give you as the commentator something to go off of. One thing I want to touch on, too, since we're, you know, going down this path is it gives the athletes a lot of power. And in Strongman, you've noticed this, or I've noticed this at least, Brian Shaw is now coming up on his third Shaw Classic, his namesake competition. And that I don't think ever would have happened if it wasn't for the power and exposure that he's gained through social media. I mean, this guy has a huge following on Instagram and YouTube. He has his Shaw Elite Club. I mean, I don't want to speak out of turn. I, I you know, don't know for sure, but I would think this guy probably makes more money off those channels than he has ever in his strongman career. And now he's able to put on his own show and actually give back to the athletes. I mean, the roster for the Shaw Classic this year is crazy. It's going to be, competition-wise, the biggest show of the year. I mean, you have both Stoltmans. You have Novikov. You have Zydrinus Savitkis coming back. It's it's unreal. And uh, Magnus Verbagnuson also just launched his namesake show last year, so... I think the example I would give is, you know, we had examples of namesake shows in the past, the most relevant being the Arnold, right? The Arnold, the, right, the right. biggest sporting festival in the world, basically. But that was something that began after Arnold's career was was over, right? He was not an actively competing athlete at that point. And it was something where, you know, he had a lot of partners to do it. It, it was really, it takes a village and now it takes a whole city basically to put on. And, that he, and he was the governor too, uh, eventually. Like he was yeah. a biggest blockbuster star of yeah and it was it was you know there was a lot there were a lot of factors like arnold had grown beyond being an athlete in fact he wasn't really an athlete anymore at that point as far as a competitive athlete right so it was a very interesting example and that's one that you know i've i've brought up the shot classic in conversations with folks and then they point to the arnold they're like oh but like the arnold that's a great example the shot classic is a little bit different i mean brian shaw's competing in his own event and you know i i think that's some people have rolled their eyes at that. I actually love that Brian Shaw competes in his own event. Um, I think it's a really cool, really cool thing. I don't think anyone's perfect, right? And I think that's going to bias some things potentially, but I think it's really cool for the sport. And I think folks have expressed in the strongman community, they love competing alongside and against Brian, right? So like, there's a lot of positive to him doing that, but I think you're totally right. I think it's, it's a really interesting way that the athletes have been able to leverage what they're doing and their name and their following and their growing following and like get the benefit of putting in that work, growing their following. We're seeing Matt Fraser do that. He's retired from competitive CrossFit, but has built a huge, you know, training program and system and team around like his hard work pays off, you know, training and he's now coaching elite athletes, et cetera. 
We'll get back to that in just a second. But first, a quick shout out to today's episode sponsor, Organifi, makers of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition with high quality ingredients. Take Organifi Red Juice as just one example. It's formulated to recharge mind and body with a delicious superfood berry blend of premium organic superfoods that contains potent adaptogens, antioxidants, and a clinical dose of cordyceps. Designed to promote energy with zero caffeine and only two grams of sugar per serving. Visit Organifi.com forward slash barbend and use code barbend for 20% off your order. Now let's get back to the show. Is the future of fitness media all influencer based or is there any chance that things skew back toward the brand side which was kind of the dominant force 10 and 20 years ago yeah well i mean barbend exists and we're doing, <laughs> and we're doing pretty well so i certainly hope that uh companies like us stick around yeah look i mean we are a health and wellness company and on the, you know, meaning like we do news, we also have our other verticals, our training, our nutrition, our reviews. Um, when I am explaining to people what we do specifically on news, this might sound, I don't know, maybe a little out of pocket, a little arrogant, but you know, I, I just, the easiest way to explain it is we are the ESPN of strength sports. Like what the way ESPN covers baseball and football and soccer and all this, uh, barbend covers, you know, bodybuilding, CrossFit, powerlifting, strongman, and weightlifting. Uh, so, I, look, I hope we're still around. I know that Barbend is growing. I think people love to have a brand that they can rely on and also a place that they can go to get all that information. There are sites out there that do cover other singular sports, but there are very, very few that cover all of the sports. And then also, you know, I think people like opinions, right? Like Brian Shaw is always going to have a big following, but I think people want to hear opinions about Brian Shaw and, you know, other competitors from people who aren't those people. So, you know, people love opinions, people love hot takes, you know, I mean, Phil Blackman, again, going back to Phil Blackman, Bartman's news editor, uh, his prediction pieces that the world's strongest man always catch fire because people love to know what Phil thinks about, world's strongest man. So uh, I, I do think that there is room for non-influencer based media. I think Barben being a prime example. My favorite example, just to give Phil a shout out. I mean, Phil is, is a, a core awesome. I mean, core longtime, amazing member of the Barben team. Love Phil to death. I was friends with Phil before I was colleagues with Phil. Right. And I think that speaks to how much I like, how much I respect this person. And we, when his prediction piece, he had two prediction pieces. There was a prediction piece for, for World's Strongest Man this year for like, okay, who's going to make the finals, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. then how are the finals going to shake out? Yeah. And I think I'm kind of shooting off the cuff here. These numbers might not be exact, but I think he was 80 or 90% correct on both of those things. Like he was 80 or 90% correct on who was going to make the finals, including some real surprises. And then he was like 80 or 90% correct as far as the ordering of the finals. And the day, like the day after both those pieces came out, before we knew, before like group stages started, and then before the finals finished, those two different points, I was getting forwarded screenshots of people on social media just being so critical of that, saying like Phil has no idea what he's doing. This guy's never even seen a strongman competition. Like he he's he's just basing this off like watching YouTube videos. Like you need a real pro to cover this. 
Phil's the only person, the only journalist who's covered the world's strongest man live and in person multiple times during the COVID pandemic. He's literally the only person in the world who's done that. Like he's boots on the ground, know these guys, is more experienced covering this. And it's really funny to see his predictions just be more accurate than anyone else's, even though people just tried to like flambe him because they thought they knew more. Yeah. What I love about that too is for the finals, you know, I was talking to him about this and it's like, it's really easy to predict the top. Well, it's not easy, but like it's easier to predict the top three in any event. Right. But then Phil's like having to choose, like who's going to get like seventh over eighth. And it's like, they're all strong. They can all deadlift. Well, they can all pull a truck, you know, relatively speaking, like all these folks are contenders. And I think it was like, he had like Martins Lisi's and like fifth on the deadlift ladder or something. And he like nailed that, but he was nailing like six, seven, eighth. Yeah. I think, well, I, I use this to illustrate a point, which is that at one of our hopes at Barbend is that deep, deep subject matter expertise from actual journalists like Phil, like Phil's a real journalist, right? Phil talks to these athletes. He builds rapport. He gets sources, right? And look, some articles are more in-depth and complex than other articles, right? But Phil does a lot of the muckraking, <laughs> to, to use like an overplay term, that journalists have to do, but for these specific sports. And I, I hope, and, and we're banking on this in, in a sense at Barben, that that deep subject matter expertise from people who are doing real journalism is still relevant in five and 10 years, right? And I think that's just an example that I kind of harp on as like a, hey, He's not just an armchair analyst, right? He's going several levels deeper. And and I hope readers occasionally see that. No one's obligated to read our content. No one's obligated to like our content. But I hope that deep subject matter expertise that takes time to build does show through, at least to some folks in these communities. That's that's my hope, kind of moving forward. Yeah, I mean, look, we're professionals and like, we take this seriously. We, you know, we don't cover politics. Or, or or finances or anything like that, but we cover strength sports and we take it as seriously as the folks who do cover politics and finances. So yeah, I agree, David. I, I, I think people do crave objectivity and that is the one downside to like the athlete focused content is it's inherently subjective, right? Like, like Brian, like I mean, just because we've been talking about it, but like Brian Shaw is never going to be like, Oh, I had a, like that performance wasn't like, you know, the best and here's why maybe he would, but I think he actually would like, I think Brian's pretty, maybe that's, a. I know we've been using Brian as an example, like, but Brian actually can be pretty objective about his own performances. Just, just to, if Brian, if you're listening, just giving you a shout out there. Yeah, yeah that, that's right. Brian, no shade. We love you. It's just that uh, <laughs> you're just, you're just, you're that big, you know? Um, but anyway, you know, it, it's easy for some, for somebody to maybe be subjective and, and, and as, as a news outlet, you know, Bar Ben is inherently objective. And I think there's a lot of benefit to that. Well, I think that we're, we work to be objective, right? No one is perfectly like we have our biases too. And I think that your role as editor in chief at Bar Ben, a lot of what you do to give yourself a little credit is you are the one who's responsible for like seeing the forest through the trees and like stepping back and being like, Hey, could we have approached this from a more objective standpoint or could we have approached this not assuming our readers had a particular perspective necessarily? So I think that's another thing that having that kind of governor or that like safety net in a sense, individual content creators, they don't have an Andrew. They don't have an Andrew Gutman, right? To like step back and be like, hey, actually 
are we approaching this in the best way? How can we iteratively get better? Yeah. And should we talk to that person? Should we talk to this person? Right. That is a good point. I mean, individual con- individuals will gravitate toward people they're social with and they'll gravitate toward their friends, right? Like if you're inviting folks out to a dinner, you're going to invite your friends. You're not going to invite like people you know, but don't like. And same with individual content creators when they're doing collaborative things, they're going to invite, they're going to be biased toward like their friends and people they like spending time with, not folks who might have a really good, valuable perspective, but they just don't like being around, right? They might occasionally do that, but that's not going to be their first gut reaction. Right. And that, so it is a difference. Like this is our, you know, we're all passionate about it, but it is like our job. Whereas like content creators, it is more their passion first, their job second, right? Like it's their job in that they make money off of it and it's, it supports their lifestyle. But yeah, it, it, it is very much like, are they going to risk their reputation or are they going to like mingle with people who they don't like? Probably not, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it is definitely there. It's a, it's a career, and I think they do take it very seriously. But I don't think... I think many content creators in this space, they get into it because they have the passion first. And then they're like, oh, I can make a living off of this. I can get more professional, and I can, I can kind of professionalize what I'm doing. Whereas most people, the vast majority of people who work at Barbed, basically like everyone except me, I think, came to this as, oh, they're passionate about the space, but like pretty much everyone except me at Barbed applied for a job, right? And like went through that application and, and treats it as a job first. And then that just happens to intersect with personal passions, hopefully. Yeah. And, and these folks also, they don't need to do anything that they don't want to do. Where, and, and, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, David, there are stories where we, we feel a, we feel a need. Like we have to cover that. That is newsworthy. I mean, how many stories pop up where it's like, that is news. It's not a matter of, oh, like, yeah, I think this looks cool. I mean, sometimes, you know, we do have a little freedom to cover things that maybe we, uh, like if we didn't cover, it would be okay. But a lot of the times we're covering what we feel like the people need to know about and what's impacting the industry. And uh, these content creators, uh, it's not, I'm not saying this is good or bad, but they don't need to do anything they don't want to do. Looking forward, we're talking about predictions. We're talking about kind of the future of fitness media. We think it's going to get, it's, it, it had, the trend is getting increasingly, increasingly influencer and individual content creator focus. Outlets like Barben, we're trying to navigate that, figure out how we play into that, and how we can continue to bring additional value. Because this is a predictions podcast, and because we have the CrossFit Games coming up in a couple of weeks, I got to ask for your CrossFit Games predictions. I know it seems like a complete non sequitur, but I just need to have something to either point to you as like, Andrew has great powers of prediction or something to hold over your head if you get it completely wrong. So. Boy. Okay. Well, I am going to go out on a limb and say that Tia Claire Toomey is going to win all the divisions. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Elite women, elite men, team. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Tia Claire Toomey wins elite women. I think Medeiros, we really saw him develop into just a well-rounded athlete. Um, like, really, he pulled away in the in the second half of, of 2021. I think we see him. I think it's going to be a new reign. I think we're going to see a repeat. Uh, it's just that mullet, man. He, he seemed like a winner in 2020. So we'll see him repeat. And then Froning's uh, Mayhem, I think, will win again. I, it's just, I, it's boring predictions, but... I just think there's so much dominance right now 
that that the, that's kind of the big three. I'd also like to point out. I hope uh, Guillaume Melheros. I'm sorry, I just butchered the name. Guillaume Melheros is how I pronounce it, and I'm not claiming that that's correct. But Guillaume Melheros is how I say it. Guy. He goes by Guy oftentimes because he's trying to be nice to to American journalists who don't know what the heck they're saying. He's trying to avoid this awkward interaction. Yeah, exactly. He's, he was trying to help us. He was being a buddy. We did this to ourselves. So, uh, Guia Brazil, I, I don't want to go out and throw a prediction, uh, but I, I do think and hope that he'll be in the top five. That guy is just magnetic, man. Like he was so, he really broke out in 2021 and just took CrossFit by storm and really brought a lot of eyes to CrossFit in, in uh, South America. So I'd like to see him kind of break out into the top five. But David, I'm going to pass it back your way. I want, you know, you're in this with me. What are your predictions? Well, the team competition often finishes first. So that's the first trophy Tia Claire Toomey wins this year. No, I'm kidding. I mean, it's just, it's, I, there's got to be a joke. Actually, we should talk to our social team because there's definitely a joke there about like, Tia Claire Toomey winning all divisions because she's so dominant. But yeah, I think. And then, and then the presidency. Yeah, and then the president. Well, she's not a natural-born American citizen, so we'd have we need a constitutional amendment for that. But we don't talk politics on this podcast, so let's or we shouldn't. Yeah, I think she wins elite elite women. You know, I I, I think the smart money's on Medeiros. I think he looks great. He doesn't have he doesn't have a lot of holes. Like I think that he's very consistent. Look, he only won one event last year. He won the final event of the CrossFit Games last year. It was the only event win, but he still had a fairly dominating like overall win, which I think is exactly what you need in CrossFit in that he doesn't have weaknesses, right? You win by not, you win by being really darn good at everything, not necessarily being the best at everything, which is like what Tia is, which is why she's kind of untouchable and like a miracle of athleticism. But I think smart money, I think smart money is on, uh, is on Medeiros, but you know, I was really impressed by the two Canadians last year, Brent Fikowski and Pat Vellner. Folks had said they were kind of in the twilight of their careers. They are both older athletes. They're both bigger athletes relative to a lot of other CrossFitters, which isn't stereotypically isn't always the best thing for lo- longevity, but we could argue over whether that's the case or not. And, you know, they, they each have multiple podium finishes and they're gamers, right? They have experience. They, they look for every edge. And it's it's probably not a a smart on the money prediction. I'm also biased because I I personally like both of those folks and, and think I have a decent relationship with both of them. But yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked to see like Velner or Fikowski if thing if the chips fall their way, like really pull ahead with some smart moves. And there are folks who really know that this is a long slog. It's a multi-day event. It's not about coming out and winning like every event day one and days one and two. Um so I would say Medeiros, but like, I don't know if Velner and Fikowski both make the podium, but I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if one of them like breaks through, wins, and then basically immediately retires. You know, you know what I mean? That's kind of, that's kind of one of my thoughts. Um, and then on the team competition, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a curveball. Look, I think, I think the favorite certainly mayhem, but I think CrossFit Reykjavik, I think Annie's team, right? Which is a super team. I never count. I never bet against Annie Thor's daughter. Never do. And I don't think I ever will. So I'm going to uh, throw a curveball in this, and I'm going to say Team Reykjavik takes it from Mayhem. All right. Well, I yeah, hot take. Hot I take. Be, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be surprised either. Hot, hottest, hottest take. Because you talk about experience. Look, Rich Froning's been competing at the CrossFit Games since 2010. He's very experienced. 
Annie Thor's daughter has been competing at the CrossFit Games since 2009, and we haven't seen her go team before, right? But, like, there is no one. There is no one who knows more about competing in CrossFit than Annie Thor's daughter. And I, I, I don't know if that gives her an edge over Froning because he has so much team experience, but, like, I don't bet against Annie. I'm not going to start betting against Annie. I say CrossFit Reykjavik. Hot take. Hottest take. I do like I do like the thought of Froning sweating a little bit. I feel like it it has been a little too easy. So look, he hasn't won every people forget Mayhem got second in was it 2016, 27 or 2017? Like they haven't won every year they've competed. But they've won pretty much all the other. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they 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 had a chink in their armor and uh no one's perfect, right? Even Rich Froning. And I know he looks at that second place and and hates it. But I don't know. I'm excited about the battle this year. I'm betting on Annie and CrossFit Reykjavik. I may be wrong, but I'm going to stick to my guns there. Andrew, I appreciate you coming on. It's always a pleasure to chat in these uh, in this situation. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. But I, I really uh, take I don't take it for granted when we get to hop on the mic and, and share some of our musings with our audience, whether they like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> we just held them hostage for 30 minutes. <laughs> awesome. Andrew, appreciate it. I'm sure we'll talk later today because that's what we do. We do work together. But thanks for joining. Thanks, David.